I want to go back to something that I think is crucial to understanding why a lot of Americans don't think about privacy. And I think it does have to do something with privilege. Mm-hmm. And we don't tease that out enough. There is this prevailing notion that, well, I have nothing to hide. You can go through my statements if you want. Right. I, I get that a lot. But people tend to not recognize that as a privilege because right. there are tons of communities here in the U.S. that don't have the privilege of moving through space uh, with little regard to hyper-surveillance. Mm-hmm. Right? And with that, I think that that's a cultural reason why there haven't been more conversations around privacy and Web3. Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future. Because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I have two important opportunities to share with my favorite listeners, <laughs> that's you, that start in January of 2023. Yes, it is right around the corner. And I want us to start in an engaging and empowering way. First, I'm planning my very first in-person summit in January. So that's January 27th to 29th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Basically, in speaking with club members and Advantage Evans students and alums, we've determined that what we all need right now is a reset, a reboot, an opportunity to reconnect with the course content and also with each other, especially in this bear market. So I've decided to teach my entire From Cash to Crypto Encore course content in a small group of highly motivated folks in one beautiful sun-soaked weekend. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, act now to secure your seat. We're already about a third of the way full. The link is in the show notes. Let's go from cash to crypto together. Sun, surf, sand, and satoshis? (laughs) Listen, that sounds like a win to me. And two, here's an opportunity to stop leaving money on the table. And as my dear friend and millionaire maker, Rachel Rogers says in her book, We Should All Be Millionaires, start making money moves today. So Rachel and her company, Hello7, are presenting the Make Money Moves Challenge, where you discover the unexpected money generating strategies that produce the results you have been dreaming of. I've gone through it before. I'm going to do it again. I want you to join me during this five-day challenge. 
learn how to do what Rachel calls money generating activities. And these are simple, powerful, and effective action steps that bring money in the door asapidly, like right now. Instead of wasting 40 hours a week doing busy work that doesn't even produce revenue, shift gears and spend five to 10 hours a week making money moves Learn how to make money faster, more efficiently, and on demand, no matter what is happening in the economy, up, down, sideways. Listen, it won't matter. Join me and Rachel and Hello7 as we make money moves together in this challenge with the link in the show notes. Let's get this money, y'all. And if you're ready to grow, let's go. Okay, time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am so excited to welcome Gabrielle Hibbert to the show. She's the Security and Privacy Fellow for the Decentralized Future Council. and She started her career in public policy after working across both Capitol Hill and various nonprofit and consultant agencies in the DMV area, as I used to say when I lived in the district. <laughs> and I invited her on the show to talk about how to ensure government regulation, and we know that it's coming, is sensible as it relates to the broader crypto and blockchain ecosystem, but also inclusive, and how we make sure privacy is at the center of the decentralized web and policy initiatives, and also a common theme here on Tech Intersect, how we can avoid the mistakes of Web2 and make, both through policy and legislation, Making Web3 equalizing, leveling the playing field, making it an inclusive space for all. It's a tall order, but if ever there's been a chance in this moment, given the push for a decentralized web, it's now. We will talk about all of that and more in a moment. But first, Gabrielle, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am, again, super excited to talk about topics that are most near and dear to my heart. Yeah. I'm really um, happy that we have this chance. It would it, It's the first, but it certainly will not be the last because your background experience and your passion is so clear and the work that you're working on is so important. And what I found after doing this show for two years, not a lot of people can have this discussion. I have people who can talk the regs and the legislation and policy initiatives and the technology and the future of work and wealth and creativity, but I believe it's it's all for naught if we aren't centering and empowering those who are systemically marginalized, right? So yeah. if we can't do that, then we're just replicating Web two. And I know you're as passionate about that as I am, so I'm I'm more excited than you. I know you don't <laughs> believe it, but it's actually true. Um, but before we jump into the heart and the meat of what we hope to speak about. Talk about your background and even what led you to work, do the work that you're doing currently. Yeah, definitely. I love talking about this because it really shows how full circle your career can really be. Uh, as you mentioned, I started off my career on Capitol Hill. I worked for uh, Senator Mark Warner, and I really loved connecting with communities and people through policy. After a couple of years of doing a little bit of the advocacy work, I moved on to various nonprofits uh, and NGOs, which, again, was an extension of that 
advocacy work and community building that I really enjoyed on the Hill. After that, I, I wanted to get my master's, uh, which I did at Brandeis University, focusing on social policy and development. And uh, I, I have this thing that I tell myself before I go on any sort of educational or uh, uh, kind of social journey. I tell myself, try something new. Mm. And the first semester of uh, my grad school year, I decided to take a course called Blockchain and International Development. Nice. At the time, I was like, what do these two things have in common? Uh, this was a couple of years after my undergraduate roommates were mining Bitcoin in their mm. <laughs> dorms. <Nice. laughs> so, so I had that as a uh, as the, the, the point at which I was bringing in a lot of my reference to blockchain. And I had known nothing else outside of that. And after taking that course, I, I realized that there were tons of similarities between blockchain development and policy development. Mm. And right then and there, I decided to pivot my studies from being purely policy focused to more development and tech focused within the policy realm. So I took a little bit of courses in uh, computer science while also focusing on Ethereum and smart contract development. And from there, I've been trying to both do the work of educating policymakers and people within the advocacy space around mm -hmm. decentralized technologies while also bringing the policy realm to tech space as they're kind of siloed at the moment, which is mm -hmm. causing a lot of friction, uh, which we are now seeing uh, come to life right now. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. I love that you described it that way, because from a, a tech point of view, you know, the, the secret sauce of, of distributed ledgers is, is removing friction whenever possible, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we have new intermediaries that might creep up, but hopefully they won't be rent-seeking, that they are additive and they're actually building in the space, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than extracting value. But it's interesting that... Um, what you are describing is serving as a bridge because developing in isolation policy mm -hmm. that's going to have these broad reaching implications or on the tech side, you know, devs having their heads down and just building, 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 and then we'll figure out the policy later. No, there's this bridge uh, that needs to happen in order for both to coexist in a way that makes the tech better mm -hmm. and makes the policy better, right? Yep. Yep. And I, I think that my my push to be that bridge comes from my prior work 
in translation. So mm. I used to be a German and Russian translator, and I love taking a, a set of data, translating into something else that is able to be read or understood by another population. Mm. And there, there haven't been that many people that can do that in the tech policy realm. I see it getting more and more popular, but right. before starting out in 2018, there really weren't many people that I could look up to and, and see that they were doing that, that work of translating. <laughs> what are the devs doing to right. what are the policymakers and regulators doing? As you engage with, with policymakers um, on the Hill, for example, have you found through your work that regulators, policymakers are actually better able to have the conversation than a few years back? Yeah, I would definitely say that the education has definitely grown. And I think it's a combination of a couple of different factors. I think one being the incredible boom uh, that we had in the space post uh, 2018 after the kind of last crypto winter was mm -hmm. when a lot of eyes were back on the space and that helped kind of usher in more people to talk about, okay, so explain to me what the use cases for Web3 are, what the use cases for smart contracts are, or blockchain, right? And this helped launch more conversations, at least here, not only in DC, but in other kind of informal industry uh, spaces that I've been mm -hmm. a part of. So that's been the kind of the, the main factor. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, I think it's also been more of, I want to say is, I think a bit of a need to mm. be more technologically forward. One of my good colleagues worked on getting the Tech Congress initiative up and running, which was partially needed due to the fact that there weren't a lot of technologically savvy uh, spaces within the Hill. And right. I think this whole era of wanting to be more tech forward has made these conversations in, you know, trying to tease out what will Web3 mean for the United States or what will AI mean for the, the future of work? So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, tell us, because that, that's a perfect segue into to where we're going, but final question just about background and context. Talk to the listeners about what the Decentralized Future Council is, what it, you know, it's, it's, its call to arms uh, is in terms of the focus uh, as a matter of, of policy and, and policy initiatives. Definitely. So the Decentralized Future Council is a collective of like-minded public interest technologists such as myself that go in and talk to the public and policymakers about the opportunities within the Web3 ecosystem. We don't talk a lot about cryptocurrency because our focus is on building out what are some social impact use cases for mm -hmm. Web3 and articulating that through webinars and uh, fireside chats, podcasts, uh, and uh, community-related events. 
Excellent, excellent. So when you are engaging the community and certainly policymakers, how do you approach this topic of the intersection of, or let me let me get at it, at it this way, focusing on the use cases that give people a reason to lean in as opposed to run away uh, in the other direction, right? I know people sometimes if they start looking under the hood with technology, people's eyes glaze over. I would sit there and say, tell me more, but most people will not. I suspect that you would say, tell me more as well. (laughs) You had a whole thing around smart contracts. So I see you, I see you. But how do you talk to the average person and then also those in positions of power about how policy should normatively develop in order to create the type of Web3 space that all can actually participate in? Definitely. So as someone who really likes to kind of break things down to its smallest component, smallest piece, I first kind of go back to that this idea of having a shared trust mm. uh, within a system. And from that, I begin to bring about examples of uh, other emerging technologies, actually, uh, because... I, I also have this academic background that I can't seem to let go of. <laughs> so I, I talk about how there is this natural inclination to be a little bit weary of emerging technology mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. This happened with the uh, refrigeration systems. This happened with TV and automobiles. So kind of placing that... Uh, in context to where we are now with Web3 technologies helps kind of set uh, some people at ease by mm. drawing these parallels between the tech that we use and love today to what we're trying to build out right now. Right. And uh, in addition to that, because there has been such a, a spotlight on the cryptocurrency realm, I do like to decouple blockchain from cryptocurrency right off the bat and Mm -hmm. say that while these two are related in some aspects, uh, they're not one and the same and they have different use cases and and different ways in which people can interact with them, right? Right. And I think those two ways in which I kind of build that conversation help Kind of <laughs> add right. some add some calm to the conversations that take place, and I believe that people are able to have a little bit more open mindedness when I begin to talk about. I would say I like to tell them as a, the the non sexy uh, use cases of uh, blockchain, such as land titling grants mm-hmm. or supply chain, things that we don't really hear that much about in in the media, but are very real ways in which we can construct a better, more efficient uh, means of conducting our socioeconomic environment. That's a really important way to approach the topic and, and kind of demystify and reduce the the jargon and, and you know that resistance, right? The barriers to entry so that you can at least have the conversation. Um, so often, you know, and I say this often on, on this show, we have this echo chamber of all crypto all the, all the time, no crypto 
at any time, right? <laughs> and then people pulling you um, based upon their own vested interest in one direction or another as an educator. And, and I can tell in you as a lifelong learner uh, and one who's deeply committed to research and, and historical context in order to better understand the future, it's just important to be able to be conversant in this space. We're already here. And if we want to ensure that folks who were left behind in the dot-com boom and bust mm -hmm. and at every iteration and acceleration in the development of technology, which is happening far more quickly in our time when I think of my parents' generation or my, 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 my grandparents' generation, things are just at this accelerated pace. Mm -hmm. It's all hands on deck in terms of understanding and appreciating. So, and for our next topic, that we aren't replicating in this build of, of the next iteration of the of the internet everything is so siloed and centralized now talk to us about some of the the, the pitfalls and the failures of web 2 in order for us to better understand the promises and the opportunities and the use cases that that we can talk about with with, with dweb yeah definitely so this is one of the topics that i really enjoy talking to, especially with undergraduate and graduate audiences uh, that are in the, the tech policy realm. So there are, I would say, three main pillars that we still need to dismantle to get to the part of the decentralized web that we are envisioning for our future. The first is this idea of the theory of neutrality, of technological neutrality. I think that there is still this idea of that is attached to many of the projects that I see in this space. And for those that may not be as familiar with it, the theory of technological neutrality is that uh, tools can either be good or bad. It's in how you use them, right? So if I were to take a hammer to build a house, I'm using that tool for, for good. Mm -hmm. I take that uh, hammer as a, you know, a melee weapon that's a use for, for bad, right? Right. And we're still applying this, this technological theory of neutrality to a lot of emerging tech from AI to Web3 and crypto. And there needs to be a greater conversation on how we can be more inclusive in the design and the implementation mm -hmm. uh, of these technological tools that we are building before we can begin to realize the parts of the decentralized web that we want to be in. Mm -hmm. But outside of the design and implementation, we still have to combat the overwhelming culture of meritocracy. are listening to the Tech Intersect podcast, 
with Professor Tanya M. Evans. Powered by Advantage Evans. The last one really comes into play in terms of having all people working on technology. It can't just mm-hmm. be engineers and developers. It has to be the artists, the policymakers, the regulators, the lawyers, attorneys. <laughs> it has to be everyone contributing. I think that these three tenets really silo the tech space and make it a really hard space to navigate in. Mm-hmm. And in terms of creating spaces for the decentralized web to actually flourish, uh, you know, those dismantling those three is, is no easy feat, right? right. It's, it's going to take a combination of social change, reform, legislation, uh, building around creating incentive models for companies to to want to act in a way that benefits everyone right and uh, a, a general understanding of what technology is is being used for and how we can better understand the implications of the use of said technology mm-hmm. in various contexts so it's it's a multi-pronged scenario that we're faced with but mm-hmm. I still have a lot of hope that we can actually break down a lot of those barriers to get to where we want to go. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Yeah, I think it's an interesting time in history where we have a little space there where people, for a a host of reasons, regardless of political affiliation, have had to rely on each other for and and are really focusing now. And I I think of certainly millennials, but even more Gen Z, Mm -hmm. uh, really understanding that this hyper-competitive model is going to lead to the death, destruction, and mayhem of this earth. Um, you know, I'm not, not a conspiracy theorist, but I just look outside. Um, and we look at this space uh, during the pandemic, and we look at, at natural disasters. We look at things that this idea of pulling oneself up by his, her, their bootstraps and just doing it all on your own is inconsistent with nature. Mm-hmm. And it is not sustainable. And it spills over into every aspect, uh, particularly when you think of building anything new. It requires, I think, of open source software. 
Mm -hmm. I think of patent pools in order to protect the development of technology. All of those things are critically important to get those layer one solutions functioning in a way that provides interoperability and opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that we're doing this specifically with technology, but it is necessarily impacted by the rules, the regulations, the laws, the stakeholders involved in in collaborating rather than competing. The competitive mm-hmm. model is just falling. It's imploding at this point. It, it, do you do you see that as well? Yes, definitely. I I am one of the cuspers. I'm not squarely millennial. I'm not squarely Gen Z, mm-hmm. and I keep seeing the competitive model fall apart uh, right. over and over again. And I think it's going to take people that see it and and people that are in my generation to say, hey, let's let's fix some things here. It doesn't have to work like this. There are other ways in which we can construct a more equitable and just way to live. So I think it's it, it will take time. I think that's that's the hard push and pull with being in tech policy, that tech moves so fast. And so it's it's easy to iterate. In policy, it's a more you know slow moving process that while it does have an iterative process, it's <laughs> leagues behind right. as, uh, you know, the development in the tech space. So it's, this will always be something that we will have to contend with. It seems that this point is particularly well-made when I think of policies and, and legislation in the privacy space. And I often hear people talking about privacy. I believe I teach information privacy in addition to blockchain and the law and, and some other courses. So I definitely get it. Every time I teach that, that semester, I just want to put on a tinfoil hat and curl up in a ball. It's like, it's too late for me. Save yourselves. But I won't bore you all with my conspiracy theories in that regard. Uh, Privacy is so incredibly important. And when I think about a technology that for most blockchains and and coins and tokens that are permissionless and public facing, that's, you know, part, that's a feature, not a bug. Um, with that comes a lot of concerns around financial privacy. And and, uh, when I think of some of the best use cases, perhaps as a matter of identity and healthcare, but obviously it's screaming, but what about privacy? On one hand, I feel like you can code, there's there's a code for that, but we're constantly tweaking software and laws aren't as changing as fast, but they change. Where, and this is a big question and we can just kind of take it bites at a time. So let's start here. Where does privacy fit in the conversation as a matter of inclusion in Web3? Let's start there. Yeah, I, I think this is particularly interesting because I began after doing some research on the space uh, while I was at the William and Mary Blockchain Lab, I, I got really invested in the privacy implications of of having a transparent 
pleasure. Right. Uh, on, on first glance, you're, my, my first thought was, oh, wow, that's, that sounds terrific. <laughs> transparent. Uh, it makes it uh, auditable in some regard. You can see where it's going. Mm. That's, that's, what, that's what we need. But the more I looked into it and researched, I got this nagging sensation that there weren't enough privacy considerations. Mm-hmm. And that led me to where I am today, working within the privacy space within the Web3, the, the larger Web3 space. And I still think that it's a very small space to begin with, a lot smaller than I want it to be. Uh, just to kind of throw anecdotal evidence out there, mm. a lot of the people that I talk to that interact with the, the Web3 space aren't super knowledgeable about the potential privacy implications of right. having a transparent ledger. Uh, and they kind of shrug it off, which I believe really harkens back to the lack of privacy education that we have Absolutely. in the U.S. We just, we don't have it for a variety of reasons, but there are very little communities that are making enough noise about the privacy implications right. in Web3. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it without a lot of solutions, admittedly, <laughs> to be sure. Some of it is about education, but I wonder how much of the space has already been seeded and by you know, let, let go because of the opt-in culture of free applications. I feel like that is its own education mm-hmm. in you know, click here because I want this in the short term. And, and we both know if, if you're not paying for something, then you are the, you are the product. Welcome. <laughs> um, not going to name, name drop any, um, <coughs> Facebook. Oh, I'm not going <laughs> to name drop here. Cause that would be inappropriate, um, for future sponsors. But, um, the idea of so much of the, the, the hyper surveillance that we're all just accustomed to, makes it very, very challenging. And then the very real concerns in this world of cyber um, crime and the, the high level espionage, um, all of, you know, when I think of money and money laundering and anti-money laundering, uh, know your customer rules, it just is what it is. And this technology is innovating and dis, uh, disrupting spaces that are already heavily regulated. We start with finances and, and go to other spaces. But I always bring it back in my own teaching um, and working with my own students, both at, at the law school and also at Advantage Evans Academy. If I hand you a $10 bill, I hand you a $10 bill. There's no record of that. The The easiest way to know something about a person is to know how their money moves. Yeah. Yep. Right? Don't talk mm-hmm. to their family. Don't talk to their friends. Look at their bank account. Mm-hmm. And the privacy around that, um, the the countervailing issues, and and I turn the mic back over to you for your your thoughts, closing thoughts on this topic. And I have one last thing to ask you about. Um, but just how do we right size the conversation by at least acknowledging the dangers in the world, mm-hmm. but offsetting that with the importance of of financial and other types of privacy? Yeah, I I want to go back 
to something that I think is crucial to understanding why a lot of Americans don't think about privacy. And I think it does have to do something with privilege. Mm -hmm. And we don't tease that out enough. There is this prevailing notion that, well, I have nothing to hide. You can go through my statements if you want. I, I get that a lot. But people tend to not recognize that as a privilege because right. there are tons of communities here in the U.S. that don't have the privilege of moving through space uh, with little regard to hyper surveillance. Mm-hmm. Right? And with that, I think that that's a cultural reason why there haven't been more conversations around privacy, and Web3. And that is one of the levers that creates this kind of stagnation around Mm -hmm. privacy uh, legislation. Although I will say I would be remiss if I did not mention the American Data Privacy and Protection Act that Mm -hmm. is being worked on as we speak, which is a, a really great first step but it's still not where we should be in the year 2022. Right. So in order to get to a space where we can have accountability for people that do engage in money laundering and uh, the financial crimes of the space, we need to help the the least privileged first because that's kind of one of the 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 first rules of uh, policy and uh, community building is you have to help the least privileged first that's that's just it Uh, that's how you're going to get momentum and get more forward moving measures that can benefit all people but that's an approach that we, at least I have not seen mm-hmm. as a fleet. Very well said. When you think about all the work that we have to do to create this utopia, <laughs> <laughs> this decentralized utopia, um, anything, you mentioned one just now, but pieces of legislation working their way through now that you think listeners should keep an ear and an eye out for uh, things that you're encouraged about? What should be on folks' radar uh, when we think about legislation in this area? Yeah, I am fascinated by the American Data Privacy and Protection Act. I think that that is probably one of the biggest pieces of legislation that I have got my eyes and ears tuned into. (laughs) And I think for anyone who is interested in what what that will will look like in the future, I highly recommend looking at that. Um, And in addition to that, I would also, I kind of like to give the advice of looking at what's happening in your state, Mm. uh, what's happening locally, because I think even then it's still very fractured as to what's happening at the state level versus Mm -hmm. what's happening at the federal level. in my, I'm 
I was born and raised in Virginia. So what's happening in Virginia is very interesting to me. Uh, there are a lot of, I would say, more crypto forward uh, policymakers in Virginia than interesting. in other areas. And seeing what's being moved forward there is fascinating. Um, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, really interesting to see which states will have the capacity to formulate various regulatory sandboxes around Web3 and crypto and blockchain Mm -hmm. and those which that may not have the capacity to do that. I think that's great. And it's a great reminder. So much of my focus um, over several episodes has been at the federal level, but seeing that all politics are local (laughs) Um, particularly in this season. And this is actually a really great time as folks are starting to consider um, um, how to vote as as November Mm -hmm. uh, during our conversation here. We're talking in October of 2022. Uh, So elections are right around the corner. This is a great time if you've never taken a moment to see what's going on in your uh, area. We have some very exciting things going on in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania as well, too. And so I think I will link um, that particular uh, episode in these show notes, as well as uh, some of the information that you've talked about uh, as well. Our time flew. I <laughs> very much enjoyed this conversation, and I'm quite sure that, that listeners um, did and will continue as well. Um, in fact, tell listeners how they can learn more about you, the work that the council is doing uh, as well. For folks that want to stay engaged with the Decentralized Future Council, we just relaunched our website. You can follow our updates, what we're writing about, any events that are in the area. Uh, it's at decentralizedfuturecouncil.org and happy to link that. In terms of uh, me personally, I don't have social media, but you. <laughs> you're a privacy nerd, so I totally get that. It's too late for me again, so save yourself. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I usually, I do have a public uh, LinkedIn uh, that Excellent. people can contact me through. Mm-hmm. And that's at Gabrielle Hibbert. But beyond that, I am... <laughs> <laughs> you got to know me to know me. You got to know me. <laughs> I love it. That is the best advice that folks can take away. Um, you got to know me to know me. And someday we'll be represented by awesome tokens and web addresses. And you won't have to know a thing about me. Yes. And yes. it'll be a happier place, at least for me. Um, and then I can take off my tinfoil hat and come outside because, you know, <laughs> I hear it's nice outside. All right. Gabrielle Hibbert, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so happy that we're connected and there's so much synergy in the work that we're doing and our, our interests. So we will definitely stay in touch. And, and thank you for now being a family member to Tech Intersect. Thank you so much. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I, I could talk for another two hours. <laughs> Awesome. All right, well, I'm going to have to like have a, an, an after show. Like an, it'll be like Bravo, we'll have an after show. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Tech Intersect podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you love it, please tell the world. If not, 
go ahead and tell me. And in either case, drop a comment or ping me on social media at IPProfEvans with the hashtag TechIntersect. And finally, a quick reminder on digital safety. There are a lot of scammers out there impersonating me and others, and I need your help. Now hear this. And remember, I will never slide into your DMs to say peace and blessings or hey, and I will never reach out to solicit your time or your money on social media like ever. I'm not a trader. I am an educator and an attorney licensed in four states. Thank you very much. I'm here to inform, inspire, and empower. No cap and definitely no forex. So be careful, make good choices, and remember, I developed an entire free masterclass about the topic of digital safety in the crypto space. So check out secureyourcryptobag.com for more information. That's secureyourcryptobag.com. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine.